0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. And now for the rest of the story. <laughs> Uh, wasn't able to really finish last week what we need to finish. I'm uh, gonna we'll do that here in the next couple of minutes. You remember last week we were talking about Joseph and his life, and we saw how that he had been uh, he'd actually born into a dysfunctional family. His brothers hated him, hated him so much that they sold him into slavery, and he ends up being a slave to uh, um, one of the Egyptian guards who worked for the king, the Pharaoh. Uh, While he's working for him, he is falsely accused and he's thrown in jail. And he spends several years in jail. And finally, through the miraculous working of God, he is brought out of jail, stands before Pharaoh. And in response to his interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams, Pharaoh puts him in charge over all of Egypt. Nonetheless, he is still no longer part of his original family. He is now Egyptian. He looks like he's Egyptian. He has to speak Egyptian. He's given an Egyptian wife, and his life has changed completely. But we saw that through it all, he kept believing God, right? And we talked about persevering faith, that he had a persevering faith. Now, that's where we ended. But the rest of the story was that we discovered he had this faith in God, and for a better reason than he even knew. Because God was at work behind all of the circumstances. And really, if you want to get this, you got to go and read the, the, next nine, or the last nine chapters of Genesis to get the, the rest of the story. I thought about reading that to you this morning and decided against it. Uh, but the, 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 um, just to summarize it, what happens is the famine comes just as, as Joseph had uh, proclaimed. They had prepared for it, and they had uh, lots of grain. And of all people, his family, his brothers come to Egypt to buy grain, and he sees them. And the Bible says that when he saw them, he remembered his dreams from when he was a young man, right? Because they came and bowed down before him. The whole process, he finally makes himself known to his brothers. They are scared to death of him uh, because of what they had done. But when all all said and done at the very end, even after their father dies and they're still concerned, what's Joseph going to do now? Joseph says, look, you men are for evil. But God meant it for good. And he sent me before you to save many people alive. And so that's the rest of the story. Um, and Joseph got to see that. We don't always get to see it here. You know, there's, there's part of your story that you will never know until you are on the other side. And, and the ripple effect of your life, right? So how that goes. So what we saw, the only way that Joseph could persevere was if he had a biblical worldview, meaning he saw God the right way, the way God really is, and he saw himself in his life the way it really was, the way God says it is. And because he had those two things, he was able to respond in faith to each of those trials that came his way. So that's the rest of the story. Now, how many of you either are or know a germaphobe Oh, quite a few of you, okay, all right, yeah. Uh, the reason we're that way is because many sicknesses are what? Contagious, aren't they? You can catch it. Um, the, uh, you know, you can catch dis- uh, sickness, illness, or disease sometimes by a physical contact with someone uh, or maybe that they're coughing or sneezing and putting the germs into the air. And you come into contact with that. Or sometimes some things, you know, you can even if you touch something where someone has, has been, you can end up catching it. And so we would say it's contagious, right? But, you know, there's a whole lot more things that, that are contagious besides germs. There's other things that are contagious, too. And, and uh, let me just share some of those things. Researchers have, have uh, like they research everything, but they've researched things that are contagious besides germs. Okay. One of those is restaurant orders. Restaurant orders are contagious. What they find is that uh, the University of Illinois researchers found that people tend to order meals that are similar nutritionally. In other words, they're all ordering bad food. (laughs) But they they tend to do that. And so they say that if you're watching your weight and you you gotta be careful what you eat, order first before you hear and know what everybody else is ordering because it's catchy. Okay, Uh, negative thinking is contagious. That probably doesn't surprise us, but the University of Notre Dame did a study that found that freshmen who were paired in dorm rooms with negative thinkers were very likely to become negative thinkers themselves after just three months. Negative thinking contagious. Happiness is also contagious. A joint study by Harvard and the University of California found that if you're happy, this is interesting, if you're happy, A friend of yours who lives within one mile of you is 25% more likely to be happy too. And actually the neighbors who live right around you are 34% more likely to be happy if you're happy. Quitting smoking is contagious. Same research team found that when a person quits smoking, family members and close friends are 36% more likely to quit too, all right? Loneliness is contagious. Now, we might not think this person who's lonely, you know, they're away and you wouldn't think they'd have the content, but a study in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology suggested that after someone started feeling lonely, others in that person's social group would get lonely over time as well. So loneliness is contagious. And then this list yawning, laughing, itching, coughing, crying, and even vomiting. Are contagious, okay? And if I sit up here and I go, a preacher should never do that, right? Because now of all the rest of the day, you guys are gonna be yawning because one will set the other off. And anyway, so the psychologist found that being in the vicinity of these actions makes a person much more likely to start doing the same things. Also listed as contagious or stress, weight loss or weight gain, and sadly, divorce. Divorce seems to be contagious. So uh, today we're going to look at a facet of faith that ought to be contagious. Our faith ought to be contagious. It ought to be catchy. And so let's go to the book of Exodus and look at the life of Moses. And not actually the whole life, just a few places in his life to help us to see this. So Exodus chapter 14. We're going to be on page 76 or start on page 76 in the Bible that's in the chairs. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we really encourage you to pick up one of those Bibles and follow along. It'll be helpful to you. All right. So in Exodus chapter 14, let me back up. So Joseph, Jacob, Joseph, they had talked about the fact that Israel was going to end up in Egypt, and they, they, they did by the end of Genesis there, but one day God would lead them out. And they became slaves in Egypt before this time. And then God, you remember the story of Moses, right? He comes in and the plagues before the Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And and God uses that Pharaoh finally says, okay, take your people and go. But then he changes his mind again. And after they've already left and are headed out in the wilderness, Pharaoh comes after them with his army. And that's where we pick up this story. Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Hairoth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near... The children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Because here, the chariots, this is is like tanks, okay? (laughs) In modern warfare, they were coming after them with their military. And the Israelites weren't, they were slaves that had just now getting out of Egypt. And it says, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses... Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Now they're really appreciative of all that Moses has done for them, haven't they? Are they exhibiting faith? No, they, they, they lack faith. They need faith. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Man, that's a statement of faith, isn't it? I mean, because humanly speaking, looking at this, it doesn't add up. We're in trouble. But he says, no, God is going to deliver. So Moses is demonstrating faith. Now, it's interesting because, you know, when the Bible tells us stories, uh, just like anything that's written, it doesn't always tell us everything that happened or everything that went on. But sometimes we can infer things that went on by what we read. Let's read the next verse. 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? So, what was Moses doing? He's telling the people, stand still, see the salvation of, of the Lord. God! Right? I mean, he didn't know how it was going to be. So, we, we see that. And the Lord says, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Well, what's the problem with that? I I didn't set this up for you very well, but they have followed them through the mountain passes and they have come down to a place where there is this uh, huge beach, and what lies before them is the sea. And there's uh, the Egyptians behind them, and on either side, the mountains going around. There is nowhere to go. Tell them to go forward is to tell them to do what? Swim the sea. Okay, that's what you would think. Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And, and this has all happened fast, I'm sure. But So Moses probably, okay, divide the sea, okay? Now he's used this rod for other miracles. So he says, okay, God's going to do this. Let's jump down to verse 19. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all that night. And So the Lord intervenes and he brings this cloud that he was using to, to guide them and brings it back between uh, the Israelites and the Egyptians. And on the, Israelite, uh, the Egyptian side, it was just dark You know how it is when when, uh, uh, the uh, big thunderstorms come and even in the middle of the day it can get really dark? Well, imagine at night how dark does it get, right? That's what God did to the Egyptians. So dark they can't really see. They don't know, you know, I don't know if they, maybe they would start fires or whatever, but on the other side he was giving light to the Israelites so that they could make all their preparations, make sure everything was, you know, snugged down and ready to go. Verse 21, let me just stop just before I read that. It just hit me. I wonder how many times in our lives God has moved in between us and the enemy. Think about that, right? And we don't even know it. But God has many times, I'm sure, protected us as his people, just as he's protecting his people here. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. So you can see that Israel has, has gone down into this, this area that, that in, uh, the Lord has opened up. Uh, and so the uh, Egyptians decide to pursue them. And as they're pursuing them, it says here that the Lord... The end of verse 24, he troubled the army of the Egyptians and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. You'd think they would be at that point, wouldn't you? And they follow them out and all of a sudden this, this huge cloud comes behind and stands between them and, and Israel and they can't get them. And then when they finally the cloud goes away, they see them, the red, the, the sea is what? Parted. You know, and that's, how do you see that? And whoever's in charge says, okay, go after him. You sure that's a good idea? And they go down there, and sure enough, all of a sudden, their chariot wheels start to fall off, and they're dragging, and they go, I think we better turn around. It's too late. Then the Lord said, verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters May come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord. That means they they worshipped him. They gave him his rightful place in their lives, at least for this moment. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So not only was God seen and elevated, who else was seen? Moses, the one who trusted God, the one who stood before them and said, you can do this, just God is going to work. Hang in there, God's going to do this. And they saw them and, and, and then the, the miracle that, that God worked through him and the deliverance. And so now they, they are looking at Moses differently than they were before. There's something about Moses. Moses believes God and it's making a difference in their lives. Have you ever been around somebody who had faith and it made a difference in your life? We're gonna talk a little bit more about that before we're done here. Well, let's go to chapter 17. Now, they're out in the desert and uh, it's hot and it's dry, like very dry. And sometimes it's very difficult to find water. And so they found themselves in a situation where where they was, there was no water. And we're talking like a million plus people. Okay, they need water. And so there is no water. And so the people are upset. They're upset with Moses again. Verse three of chapter 17. And the people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. Now, let's just stop there. So this is what happens. The New Testament tells us that this rock was a symbol of Christ, the symbol of Jesus as he hangs on the cross there, being struck, okay, struck by, in essence, the rod of God, experiencing the justice for our sins, okay? And what was the end result of that? That what, the Holy Spirit now comes and is available to each and every one of us. And uh, that's the symbol as we see in the New Testament. So there's a symbol of Christ. But here's what I want you to see. Verse, the last phrase in verse 6. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Remember God said take some of the elders of Israel with you. And Moses performs this miracle in the sight of the elders of Israel. Why? God must have wanted them to see. He wanted somebody to see what Moses had done and what God had done through him, okay? Uh, let's go to chapter 18. Now, they find their way uh, in the wilderness, and they, they come to meet Moses' father-in-law. If you remember, Moses had spent 40 years in exile from Egypt in the wilderness, had gotten married. So they meet his, his father-in-law in um, he begins to have a discussion with him. So let's look, starting in verse number eight. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. So let's just stop there. That would imply that that Jethro wasn't necessarily settled on that before, don't you think? Because he says, now I know. So Jethro is being impacted here. Verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. What I want you to see is that what has happened here is Moses has sat down and shared his testimony. Testimony. Isn't that the wording we would use today? If you were telling someone, hey, here's what happened. Here's what I experienced. Here's what uh, uh, God did. Here's what's been accomplished. Moses shares his testimony. And what's it do? It impacts Jethro. His testimony impacts Jethro. Jethro now says, I know that God is the God. And his result is he he worships God because of Moses' testimony shared with him. Let's go to chapter 20. Now, if I ask you, what's, what's notable about Exodus 20, what would you probably say? Yeah, I thought say, I would say, duh. No, yeah, right, the Ten Commandments, that's right. Okay, so they're in the wilderness. Moses has been up on the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments, and, and God has covered this mountain with smoke and fire and lightning and thundering while, while Moses is up there. Anyway, he comes down, and he's, he's I think, maybe shared... Uh, the Ten Commandments with him. But anyway, verse 18 of chapter 20. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, "Um," and I'm interpreting here, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. Because this is scary, what they're seeing. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And so what's going on here? The people are watching. They're watching Moses. They're scared. But what is Moses doing? Drawing near to where God was. They're seeing Moses' faith being fleshed out. You don't have to be afraid. Fear God in the proper sense, yes. But we can draw near to God. And so his faith, they're observing his faith. And do they have that same faith as him right now? Do they have the same faith as him right now? No, 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 because we're not going there. But they see him go. And it's teaching them things. It's teaching them that they could go to God as well. Now, it's easy, easy, easy for us when we read stories of what we might call Bible heroes to think, well, yeah, that was them. If I was a Bible hero, I could do that too, right? But I want you to see, Moses did not see himself that way. Did not see himself that way. And actually the text, the scripture, does not describe him. That way. Let's go to chapter 34. So you remember the story that Moses had come down off the mountain and the people were worshiping a golden calf, idolatry and all this mess. Moses threw down the Ten Commandments, the tablets, they broke. And, and so God is, is, is at this point in the story rewriting the Ten Commandments for Moses and talking to him and and, uh, revealing himself to Moses. In verse number 8 of chapter 34, this is Moses' response to what God is saying to him. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among... What's the next word? What does that mean? means he's including himself with the people, isn't he? He's identifying himself with the people. He's not seeing himself as some high person above all of them and so much better. No, he's identifying himself with his people. So let's read this. He says, oh, Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though, next word, we are a stiff-necked people. And pardon, what? Our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And so Moses identifies himself with the people. And so we see all of these, these examples of Moses' faith in front of the people and, and how it affected people. And yet, Mo, I guess what I want you to see is that Moses is not like somebody special. I mean, he is special, but he's special in the same way that we're all special to God. And that means that what Moses has done, you and I can do. And I don't mean part in the Red Sea. I mean the idea of trusting God. Having a faith that other people see. Having a testimony that encourages other people. Having a faith that is contagious. Something that would draw people to it. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. Moses is described like this. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Now, maybe that's hyperbole. I don't know. But the point is, Moses was a humble man. He was not this big, I'm over and better than everybody kind of guy. And, and like I said, the, I think the reason I want you to understand this is because that means that you and I can live the way Moses lived. We can respond to the things in our lives the way Moses responded, and we can have an effect on the people who see us the way Moses did. Um, So let me just finalize it with this. So what we see is that as we go through, we could look at other examples from Moses' life but what we see is this, it comes down to the very end in Deuteronomy chapter 34, the Lord talking about this, all the things that God had done through Moses and all the things that Moses had done, it describes from those things which Moses performed. And the next phrase is, I think, really important. In the sight of all Israel. What he had done was visible to other people. And so that brings me to the first thought I really want you to, to nail down today. And that's this. That God intends for your faith to be seen. God intends for your faith to be seen. Now, as I even you know, came to this conclusion, I had some immediate pushback in myself, and maybe some of you do too, because we remember what did Jesus say about doing things to be seen by other people? Don't do that. Don't do things to be seen by other people. And I'm telling you, God intends for your faith to be seen. Well, what's going on here? Well, Jesus was challenging the motives of the people, of the religious leaders in particular, but he's saying, why are you doing these things? Are you doing these good things so that other people will see you and go, ooh? If so, don't do that. Do it in secret. But if you're doing it With the right heart attitude, you're doing it for God, but aware that other people are seeing, that's okay. In fact, you remember the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, don't do, you know, to be seen. Talking about the motives. He also says this, let your light so shine before men that they what? That they may see your good works. With why? Because you want them to glorify your Father in heaven. And so if that is your motive, that is a good thing. And so I want you to see that God intends for your faith to be seen. Okay? Uh, And two reasons why. The first one is to challenge uh, those who need to believe. When you are around people who need to believe, may they do not know the Lord. Uh, And they need to know the Lord. Your faith will challenge them to do that. You know, when I came to Christ... um, I didn't come to Christ because one day I said, you know what, I need a relationship with God. I think I'll read the Bible and figure out how to have that. You know, all my own study. No, what I did is I met some people who believed God, who had faith in the Lord, who had received Christ as Savior. I met them. They invited me to church. I go to church. I hear the word preached. And that becomes very clear that here's how you have a relationship with God. You don't have one. You need one. Here's how you get it. Here's what God did for you so you can have this relationship, the gospel, all that. But, and so when I finally, on, on April the 4th, 1975, opened up my heart and said, okay, God, yes, I, I am unsaved. I need a Savior. And, and when I made that decision to receive Christ as Savior, it was not just because of what the Bible said. It was not just because of the preaching and teaching of the Word, although that stirred my heart, right, and challenged my mind. That was all part of it. But it was also because there were people around me Who were living this out. They weren't perfect people. But they believed God. They had faith. And that faith was contagious. And so when I received Christ. It was because of that. And do you understand that there are people in your life today. Who do not know Christ as Savior. They are on their way to a Christless eternity in hell. And you are around them. And they, they are observing you. And they need to be able to see your faith. Because God will use them seeing your faith to challenge them. That they need what you have. And we're not talking about being perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Don't set that standard on yourself. Because you know what part of faith is? Faith is what do you do when you mess up? How do, when you don't have it all together, how, what, how, how does your faith affect your life? In fact, don't you think that that's probably the most appealing way that faith really is contagious? Think about that. If, if you're around somebody uh, who doesn't know the Lord and you always have it together, you're always perfect and you always say the right thing and you always do the right thing, what are they going to think? Oh, I could never be like that. But if you're just real, I'm not encouraging to go sin in front of people. <laughs> no, we shouldn't sin, but if you're to be real... Be authentic because yeah, you're not perfect. And so as they can see you in your life, how do you deal with things when you aren't perfect and you don't have it all together? That is contagious. I want something like that. I can't deal with things like that. How do you do that, see? All right. So to challenge those who need to believe and then to encourage those who do believe, to encourage the people who already believe. You know, we're talking about testimony, your faith testimony. You know, I think way back, and in one of the biggest areas of our lives, you know, that's always a factor and, and oftentimes gets a grip on us is our money, our finances. Well, uh, Glenda grew up in a church that taught what God says about it, and I, I you know, married her and we're in a church about this, and so we learn from what God said about how we were supposed to do our finances, how we were supposed to give to Him, how we were supposed to handle the rest of the money, what the point was, all of those things. We learned that from the Word. But you know what really, really motivated us and challenged us? Was hearing the testimonies of people who had stepped out and trusted God. So let's just take a moment here and review what we're talking about faith, what we mean. Okay, remember when we were about faith. We said there's, there's two aspects of faith that are kind of tied up together. One is knowing, or what we might say we believe, but really we know. We know this is true. We know this is what God says. We know this is what God's like. And the other part is to then what? To trust that, to step out on it, to act upon it. Uh, James, in his, his letter, tells us this is what faith is about. Faith is a belief that Works for faith that does something, and so that's what it means. And so, what we heard is testimonies from people's lives, okay. And what they're saying is, Here's what God says about my money, here's how He says I'm supposed to give to Him, here's how I'm supposed to pay my bills, here's how I'm supposed to manage it, uh, here's what it's for. We hear that stuff, and they said, And then we we trusted God, we took a step of faith, and we did whatever the details were, and here's what we've experienced in our lives. And they have this testimony of faith. And so here I am as a young Christian, hearing these things about money and all that, and money, it's a big deal. And, and not only am I hearing what God says, but now someone's saying, look, I did it. I trusted God, and here's what he did. Do you understand the encouragement that that is? That's huge, isn't it? Okay, and I cannot believe. So we we did that. We we took those steps of faith and did it. And I think our life has had some impact on some other people who have been able to see our faith in this area, and hopefully somebody's now seeing their faith in this area. And so our faith is intended to be seen to encourage people who need to believe. Glenda and I, uh, you know, like all of you, we in our marriage, you you learn that there are times and places, things you just have to work through. It's hard sometimes and, and and you got a choice, throw in the towel or, or continue and go forward with what God says, right? Okay, that's that faith choice. Here's what God says, what am I going to do? But once again, we have persevered not just because of what God says, but because of the testimony of others who have lived out what God says. Do you understand what I'm saying? Isn't it encouraging to hear the testimonies of other people? And so God intends for our faith to be seen. It challenges people who need to believe. Contagious, hopefully, to them. And then it is, uh, hopefully, encourages those who already do believe. All right. And so Jesus talks about this. In in Luke chapter 6, he said, For every tree is known by its own fruit. See, real faith should always be, will always be seen. Real faith will always be seen. Jesus said that this idea, how we would identify someone. For every tree is known by its own fruit. A good man out of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of his heart brings forth evil. In other words, what's happening on the inside? Do I have faith? How How do we know what kind of tree a tree is? Is this a peach tree or an apple tree? How do we know? If you're not a botanist. Or is that the right word? Arborist. Arborist. You're not one of those. How do you know? It's not a trick question. What's coming out? Is it apples or peaches? Okay, that's how you know. Same thing with a human being. Is is this person actually have faith? Is this person living by faith? Well, what's coming out in their life? What's showing up in their life? And that, that can help us to figure that out. So understand this, that genuine faith immediately begins producing fruit that eventually will be seen by other people. And that's when a person comes to Christ and has genuine faith, eventually that's going to show up. Now, we aren't always real good at recognizing it. We just aren't. But let's think about this. The Apostle Paul, before he was Apostle Paul, he was going by the name Saul. He's against, God. he's against God. He doesn't think he is, but he's against God, against God's people. The Lord meets him on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden he realizes who God is. It's Jesus and, and all this. And he says, his first response is, what do you want me to do? Was there any fruit in Paul's life? It's not a trick question. No, I'm saying going forward, have this any fruit? I mean, there's a whole bunch even in your Bible here, right? Plenty of fruit. We recognize that. We see that. How about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, who has, had kind of been a cheat and a swindle and a tax collector, and he spends a, a time with Jesus, and he says, You know what? I'm done with that. I'm going to start treating everybody the way I'm supposed to treat them financially. I'm going to pay restitution. In fact, I'm going to pay back more, and I'm even going to give away a bunch to make sure anything I've missed. Is that fruit? That's fruit, Right? How about the prodigal son? Now think about that. Remember, he takes his father's his, his, uh, inheritance early, and he goes into, away from his father, and he spends it on terrible living, and, and, and he, his life you know, crashes and burns. And, and there he is, and he goes, what am I doing? I, this isn't right. I, I need to go back. And so he goes back to his father. Is there any fruit there? not a really trick question, but I would say there's absolutely fruit because the fruit is he got up and went back and humbled himself. That's fruit, isn't it? How about the thief on the cross? Two thieves on the cross. And in the beginning, it says they were both blaspheming God, blaspheming the Lord and talking evil to Jesus and all this kind of stuff. Something happens. One of these criminals watching the Lord, listening to what he says, seeing how of a always says his, to the other one, hey, wait a minute. This isn't, this guy's different than us. And he says, Lord, would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? And what's Jesus say? Today, you and me, paradise. Was there any fruit there? I mean, he just, he's on the cross dying. Any fruit? Absolutely, the fruit is right there that he's saying what? It's it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, it's a a change of all these kinds of things. Um, John the Baptist. Challenged the religious leaders of his day because he said, "What I can see in your life does not look like fruit that shows you've repented. Okay, it doesn't match. See, what's coming out in our lives ought to match our faith. And so let's let's address this issue. If there is no consistent." fruit of faith in your life. What's going on? No consistent fruit of faith in your life. What's happening? Well, the first possibility is that, that you may have a defective worldview. You may have come to Christ but you have a defective worldview. And here's what I mean by that, because here we are, we're living our lives, we're doing our own thing. For some people, this means they're they're a drug addict and life is terrible. For some people, this means they're financially successful and look great in the world. But either way, they, they get confronted with the gospel and the reality that, hey, I need a Savior. I've sinned against the Holy God. It'll send me to hell. Jesus died for my sins, rose again. Okay, I'm going to trust that for me and receive Christ as Savior. At that point, we said, what happens? Genuine faith has done what? It's gone to work and it will begin to produce fruit. But here's what can happen. If you do we have a view of the world before we get saved? We have a view of the world before we get saved and and what's good and right and all that kind of stuff. And it's not unusual at all for us to just kind of pick up this worldview. We get saved. And we carry this worldview over here with us. And we live by what we think is right and what's wrong. And we do all that. And it may be mixed up. It may not match what God is saying. So it's really crucial that we continue to develop a biblical worldview. This is what I challenged you last week. Make sure that you are in the Word. Challenge your thinking about how you view the world. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have here in the church where we say, Hey, come here. We're going to learn what the Word says, you know, and, and live those things out. But so... If you genuinely have received Christ, but there's just inconsistent fruit, it may be that you need to step back and say, wait a minute, I don't think I'm looking at things right. And sometimes you've got to go to a good counselor to help you figure that stuff out. Okay? All right. The second reason that there may not be this fruit of faith in your life is because you may not have faith at all. You have just adopted. In other words, you're on this side over here, looking at life. Here's this faith decision to receive Christ. And then here's this new life and how people are living. And you could be over here and say, oh, I want to be like that and just walk over here and start trying to live like that. But you never came through Christ. You never received Christ as Savior. This is crucial. You can't just... <laughs> see. I'm thinking, man, back I did this when I was a young person and I came and all of a sudden I start going to this church where they really believe the Bible, where I've told you, I've heard the gospel, that kind of stuff. I thought, well, that seems good and right. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. And I did that. I, I, I bypassed this. Yeah, I think I did that. I'm set. And I lived there for a year, nine months, year and nine months, to find one that I got it. You know what? And one of the things that drove me to that was I was not, and I didn't have these words in mind, but I was not experiencing the fruit of someone who's been saved. My struggles were struggles of someone who'd never been saved. It helped me to see that. And that may be where you're at today. And if so, you need just to say to God, Oh, God, that's me. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose again. And Right now, I receive Christ as my Savior. And then, by all means, talk to us. Let us know so we can help you grow. So here's the challenge I want to leave with you today. Your faith, or lack of it, does not exist in a vacuum. It inevitably affects other people for good or bad. It's either a contagious faith that's drawing people to the Lord, or it's a, I think, a contagious if it isn't that kind of faith, you may be, somebody might look at your life and say, I don't want to catch that because of the way you're living. And so remember, your faith is not just about you and God. And that's where it starts. That's at the core of it. That's the root of it. But God intends for your faith to be seen and make a difference in the lives of others. He intends for your faith to be contagious. So what do you need to do? How do you need to respond to God today for that to begin, becoming a reality if it's not? How do you respond to God today if it's already contagious, but you want to make sure it stays contagious and gets more contagious? Father, we come to you and pray that you would show us the answers to those questions there about where we're at and what we need to do. And as I prayed, Father, early in the service, I pray that we would say yes to you about whatever you would show us. That our faith, Father, would be what you want it to be, not just between you and us, but what our faith would be as it's seen by other people. Give us a vision for that, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.